Last week we were looking at Elijah, as we have been for the several weeks now in this study, and we kind of looked at how he went through a difficult time in his life where he was discouraged and wanted to give up. You know, he just went into the desert and sat under a tree and said, Lord, that's it. I'm ready. Just take me home. But God met with him. And instead of, you know, him remaining in his weakness, he was strengthened to continue, strengthened to go on. And that's so often God's purpose in what he leads us through is he wants to strengthen us and enable us to continue in him. And so Elijah went on, arrived at God's holy mountain where he got a new perspective, heard God's voice, his still small voice, and met with him and was empowered But I want to go back a little bit in the story because there was something that kind of jumped out at me when I was studying it last time, but, you know, the sermon was going in a different direction. But I want to come back to that now. And it's something that Elijah did on Mount Carmel, and it's something that we can learn from and hopefully apply to our lives in order to receive power and provision. And so let's look back in 1 Kings 18, verses 30 and 33. So 1 Kings 18, verse 30 says, And Elijah said unto the people, Come near, right? Gather, draw near to me. And he repaired the altar that was broken down. Right? And so this is after all the priests of Baal, you know, called upon him all morning and nothing happened. And so Elijah says, Come near. But then I want us to look at verse 33 at what he says. And he says, and he put the wood in order, and he cut the bullock in pieces and laid it on the wood. Now, many times we come to the Lord and we're crying out for him to to meet with us. We need something from God. We need power and provision. We need a touch. We need uh, a word or so forth. And for him to help us overcome. And so like Elijah, we make an altar and it kind of speaks of having an experience of just crying out to God, asking him to speak from heaven, send down his fire and his rain and so forth. But look what it says back in verse 33. And it says, and he put the wood in order upon the altar. And so when we come to God, there's an aspect where we're asking him, we're beseeching him because he's good and he's merciful But this is showing us a little bit of something of what has to take place in us. The wood has to be put in in order upon the altar. And, of course, wood in the scriptures speaks of humanity, speaks of who we are, right? We're kind of, sometimes we can be rough and gnarly and full of knots and, you know, (laughs) tough to work with at times. But, you know, I think there's few things as beautiful in in nature is when it, when a woodworker can take a piece of wood and craft something i think that's so beautiful we can just take some old gnarly piece you know sometimes people can take this big stump and put it on a and on a on a lathe and turn it and turn it into like a beautiful vase i just think that's that's impressive but yet as we come to god we're that old gnarly piece of wood and in order to meet with god He's speaking to us through Elijah's experiences that the wood has to be put in order upon the altar. And so there's that need that our lives align to God's ways, to God's order, 
that he has for us. Of course, we know Jesus. He's the cornerstone, isn't he? Like the cornerstone, it's a similar concept, but the cornerstone was the, the, the first stone put down, and every other stone in that building that's put down had to align to the cornerstone. If it doesn't, I don't know if you've ever been in a house where the walls are kind of like bowed out or nothing's square, you know, or, you know, they didn't pay too much attention to the cornerstone and lining it up, and sometimes it, the angles are off and so forth. And so he's the cornerstone. He's the pattern we have to follow for our lives. Of course, Jesus declared himself in John fourteen six. He said, I am the way, the truth, and then I'm the life. No man comes unto the Father but by, but by me. You know, there, are, there is only one way in life that matters. It's the way of Jesus. The way that he has shown us. It's the pathway he's walked and he's saying, follow me in that pathway. And when we align our lives to his way and to his truth, then we'll receive his life. That's when his life flows. And really, most of our problems in life come when we are out of alignment, when we're not in order, when there's things that aren't quite right and he's trying to deal with. You know, I was thinking of the Apostle Paul having to deal with some of the some of the saints that weren't in order, you know, in the church, and you read about that. Of course, we can think of the Corinthians, you know, he had to deal with them. There was another people they had to deal with, the people of Crete. He didn't have a lot of good things to say about them as a culture. Um, you know, there were some problems in their character and how they looked at life, and, you know, following God's ways were not as important as, as it should have been to them. And, in fact, he kind of sums it up with this in the book of Titus. I don't quote from Titus too much, but here's a verse you can remember. And Paul's telling Titus, he's saying, and one of the Cretans, one of people who was from Crete, a prophet of their own said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. <laughs> Woo! That's in scripture. <laughs> That's harsh words. But Paul didn't say it. It was one of the locals who said it of himself, of them, their own culture. But that, but you know, I was just thinking, I, that's kind of funny to think about that culture and how that, you know, they're known for that. But in one sense, does not, does not that sum up the fallen nature? Isn't that who we really are at our core? Because we can be nice and polite and we can learn, right? Sometimes our parents, they teach us to be polite and we've learned lessons so we're not as like that. But yet at our core... Who we are when everything else is taken away, the politeness is taken away, because how many of us know we can go through situations that uses up all of our politeness and then there's nothing left but who we are? And that's, that's the mirror. That's what we see in the mirror when we look at ourselves in those situations. But, you know, it's what we revert to at our weakest moments. But God wants to meet with us because he has a divine order he wants to bring into our lives. And so he said this to Timothy in Titus chapter 1 and verse 5. He said this, For this reason I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking in the lives of these people. I want you to set things in order. And so here's Elijah on Mount Carmel, and God has called him to restore 
Israel unto himself, but he's given a message. Put the wood in order. God was saying things have to be set in order once again. Under Ahab, they kind of let things slide, but, you know, restoration comes when we're set in order. And now, this is kind of an extreme situation. The whole nation was backslidden, you know, and they hadn't followed God's ways, but it can really speak of speak to us of, of the condition in our nature. You know, there's something in us that's kind of like, there's something like a magnet within our hearts that when we're going through dry times, you know, when the life of the Spirit uh, isn't flowing through us and in us, there can be a tendency where our heart is pulled back to the old ways, to the old way of thinking and so forth. And then what do we have to do? Well, the Holy Spirit comes in His gracious way and He says, let me fix some things. I want to put some things in order. I need to adjust you a little bit so that my life and power can flow once again. Or maybe he's addressing something that's been out of order for a while, and we didn't even know it, right? We, we allowed him to come in certain other areas in our lives, and you know, he said, well, now this area. Lord, there's nothing, you've never addressed that before. Well, I am now. And he wants to speak to us. But as we allow the Holy Spirit to do his work, and we submit to his rearranging of our priorities, of what is important in our lives, new power begins to flow. His life begins to flow, and maybe in ways we've never known because we've always had those areas that have been blocking. I came across a story about Henry Ford. Now, you people from the Michigan area, I'm sure that you you might have even heard this story, but uh, but of course he pioneered the development of the auto automobile, um, and he wasn't just a good businessman. But I mean, he he was a designer. He had really good thoughts about how the engines should work and the body and production and so forth. I mean, he was really brilliant in that way. I mean, he's been called a genius in the sense of how he put everything together and got it to work and so forth. But but he also came up with really good ideas for the design of the automobiles. And he would hand them to this research department and say, figure it out. I want, I want it to do something like this. <clears throat> well, one of those concepts was an engine where the pistons came down at an angle. And ever since the beginning of the car, the pistons always went up and down, right? That seems natural. That's, you think something going up and down, that would be the best way to do it. Well, he said, no, I want it to go to, to the side, because you can get more pistons in that way. Or, you know, I, I actually I have no clue. I'm not really a motorhead in that sense. But he sketched out the idea for the first V8 motor. And he gave it to his engineers. And he left them to look over. And basically, uh, someone said, this is impossible. Why are we even thinking about this? We should be focusing on just improving uh, the current design. Um, well, Ford's kind of came back and he said, I don't care what you think is possible or not, I'm employing you and you're going to do it. And so they did it. And it turned out to be one of the most popular motors in the world. It was the most powerful at the time and so forth. But what do you suppose would have happened if Ford's engineers came back to him and said, we did it. We made it. 
What do you think? And it was nothing like his design. It just was like an, an improvement on the current design, you know, the current, you know, design of the engine. I think he probably would have fired some people if they did it their way, their, their order of thinking. But, you know, the, a new level of power came in Ford Motor Company when they submitted and they ordered themselves according to the thought of the head. And that would brought power. And I, I love that kind of that story about new power came because it illustrates so clearly when we order our lives according to our head, who is the cornerstone, it just releases power, new horsepower in our lives, new strength, new ability. When we follow God's pattern, we are setting the way for us to be empowered and preserved but when we neglect it, the opposite happens. We know that if you neglect an engine and never get a tune-up or anything and all the spark plugs go bad and instead of eight cylinders, you're working on three cylinders, you're not going to be going very fast. Sorry, that's my last car <laughs> engine <laughs> illustration. But, uh, you know, we can see this in Israel about how God desired to work in them. He gave them a, a divine order for them to follow. Uh, and when they followed it, they were blessed. They were blessed like no other nation in the earth. The nations around them feared them, feared to even touch them. But when they didn't, it didn't go very well for them. Now take for an example you know, one of the orders God gave in Ezekiel, or it's not Ezekiel, Exodus 31, when he talked about the Sabbath. And, you know, for, for us, this is clear. I mean, this is like Sunday school and such. But there's something God brings out about this that I want us to see. You know, it's one of the most basic examples of ordering our lives and so forth. But in Exodus 31 and verse 13, it says, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Truly... My Sabbath you, you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations. Now, here's what we want to clue in on. That you may know that I am the Lord that does sanctify you. That you may know that I am the Lord that sanctifies you. And so God gave them the Sabbath as a sign of better things to come. As they obeyed God and followed him, they would know God as the Lord that sanctified. And, you know, what's really neat is this is one of the, you know, the names of God in scripture. He's revealing something new of himself to Israel. Um, it's in the Hebrew, you could say it's Jehovah M. Kadesh. That's not as important to remember as the Lord that sanctifies. And actually the meaning is really the Lord that sanctifies or makes holy. The Lord that sets us apart. God wants us to know him as, as the God that sanctifies us or sets us apart for his purposes, for his power, for his anointing, because we know God doesn't just anoint anyone. He only anoints those who are set apart for him, for his purposes. And actually, that is one of his main purposes, to sanctify us. Right? And he commands us in a, in a sense. You know, the 
Apostle Peter wrote to us, and actually he was quoting from Leviticus 21, but in 1 Peter 1 and verse 15, it says, But as he which calls you is holy, so be holy in all manner of your conversation or your, your life, your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. That's a powerful statement. Be holy, for I am am holy. We are to be set apart because he is. He's above the earth. He's above our thinking. He's above our understanding. He's separate from all that, and God wants us to be separate from all that too. If we if we limit ourselves to what we see and what we think and what we hear and what we understand, boy, we're in for a rough time. But if we allow him to separate ourselves to become holy and set apart through following his commandments. And when we do that, we're following his his commandments to us to come up higher. Be set apart with me. And being set apart is being raised up to heavenly places to sit with him. But the context is the order of our lives. Are we aligning our lives with him? And, And so it really... It's, it's interesting when we were looking at this, God is saying holiness is very practical, involves very practical things. And the illustration, the main thing that he uses right, is the Sabbath. And, you know, sometimes we think holiness is dealing with all these like spiritual, ethereal concepts that we can't see and understand. When, but in reality, it comes down to very practical elements in our lives, that if we get these elements right, if we set our lives in order, we do the things, we, we say the things, we believe the things that God has given to us, it releases life. It brings us up. It sets us apart. And the example we looked at with Israel was the Sabbath. One thing we note from that back in, in verse 13, Exodus thirty-one thirteen, it says, Truly, my Sabbaths you shall keep. You know, he's, he's, he's laying it out. Not, think about this, it's not much of an option. Because he wants us to be holy. He wants to set us apart. That there was a purpose behind it. And that, that's the part we have trouble seeing, the reason. As human beings, we can be very stubborn, and we struggle to do things when we don't see things with our natural eyes we don't understand with our natural mind we don't see the purpose the value but god told them there a purpose in verse 17 so exodus 31 17 he said the sabbath is a sign between me and the children of israel forever for in six days the lord made heaven and earth and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed Here's the purpose. Here's what God wants to do. It's a sign of what? Of coming into rest. Of being refreshed. Being made strong. And I think God was using this as an example to Israel because it speaks about the whole of our lives. Why was Israel to keep the Sabbath and why are we to keep that? Because God wants to come God wants us to come into rest. 
the rest of following him, the rest of ordering our lives according to his pattern and his words and his commandments. Now, there's, this is just that one example. But God says, I reveal myself as the Lord who sanctifies through this one very practical example. But there's many other areas we could talk about concerning getting things in order in our lives, right? And, you know, we could probably, each of us could probably fill in the blank with a different thing of things we need to focus on to get in order to, to follow God or things we struggle with and deal with. And sometimes we have to cry out to God, Lord, I want to get this in order, but help me. I need strength. I need, I need a new willingness, new ability to get in order in this area. But as we do that, he meets with us and he brings us into the rest of following him. So that we can receive life and strength and power from God. This is what the Lord was saying to us in Matthew 11. Verse 28, you know, these famous and lovely words where he said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. God wants us to bring, to bring us into rest through his easy yoke and his light burden. Now, during the process of us putting the yoke on our, on our necks, on our heads, it can feel constraining because we can no longer do our own thing and go our own way. The, the little oxen that doesn't have the yoke, he can walk around, he can go eat grass here, eat grass there, do whatever he wants to do, but he's not very useful to the master until he puts that yoke. And it's not a heavy thing. You know, he just kind of rests on him. But he can only go one way, the way of the master. But as we submit to his yoke or his way of doing things, his order and pattern for our lives, his leading, there's only one outcome. Rest for our souls. I love that. God wants us to feel good in our soul. He wants us to feel good about ourselves. That only comes one way. You know, it's terrible when the enemy comes and he can torment us because of areas where we are not at rest with God. And he can come in. He's the accuser. And I think that's the title he loves the most, it seems like, because that's all he does. He just accuse, accuse, accuse. You know, I always read that verse about Christ. He said this about himself in in John 14 and verse 30. He says, Hereafter, I'm not going to be able to talk with you much, but the prince of this world comes, but he has nothing in me. Satan was about to come and tempt and test Jesus to the highest degree. But look at what Jesus said. He has nothing in me. There's nothing he can accuse me of. There's nothing he can get at me with. You know, I read that verse and I say, Lord, that's what I want. I need that in every area of my life because then I can come into rest. Nothing that the enemy can pull at or get me in turmoil about or bring doubt in. 
That's rest. You know, he did that in Israel for many years until they disregarded his commandment. You know, even that one about the Sabbath, they disregarded that so much. You know, they didn't take it seriously. They didn't observe the Sabbath, didn't allow the rest of God to come upon the land. They didn't observe the Sabbath of letting the land rest and so forth. But something interesting that God says about them in, in captivity in Second uh, Chronicles 36, verse 21 It says, they were brought into captivity to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land enjoyed her Sabbath, until the land enjoyed her rest. Israel deprived the land of rest because they just kept planting and planting and they never allowed the land to rest because God wanted that to be a part of the Sabbath, a symbol of resting in him. So they kept ignoring the, you know, God's commandment. And so, well... I'm going to bring the land into rest. You're going to go in captivity and it's not going to be a restful experience and the land will rest and she'll rest for a full 70 years. And so through her continual disobedience, Israel kept that rest from taking place. You know, God can bring us into rest or at least rest in the sense of ceasing from our own activities. He does that through captivity. And Israel could no longer keep the land from resting through captivity, and then the land rested. But who wants to rest that way? And, and when I say rest, who wants to be confined? Who wants to be put in a straitjacket so we can't do those things that were going to destroy us if we kept on going and had our own way? That's not, a, that's not a good way. But when Israel followed the divine order, they were blessed, and when they didn't, they had trouble. Someone once said this. They said it was really more than just Israel keeping the Sabbath. It was the Sabbath that kept Israel. Hmm. That's why Jesus said, man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man because it's to bless us. It's to increase us. It's to protect us. Because it's the way of God. And when we allow God to come into our lives and to dictate even very practical things, It brings us into rest. You know, and as we obey, and that's really the key, we we allow God to set us in the... Well, he tells us the order, then we got to obey it, right? Because it's, you know, doesn't do any good if God's like, okay, put this here, put this there. And then we say, I like that. I agree, God, but I'm going to do my own thing. It doesn't work. You know, it's kind of like Saul Saul on the Damascus road, the Holy Spirit said, Saul, I've been speaking to you for an awfully long time. How long are you going to resist the pricks, the conviction of the Spirit of God in your life? But as soon as he yielded to that, he became another man. He was transformed. And so when we take on his yoke, what a wonderful rest we can come into in our souls in our spirits, even in our bodies, because he's, his spirit comes upon us and quickens our mortal bodies. We see that in Elijah. When the wood was set in order on the altar and the divine fire came, he was empowered to pray and the rain came and then he ran. First Kings 18, verse 45, And it came to pass 
In the meanwhile, that the heavens were black with clouds, and there was a great rain, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins, and he ran before Ahab to all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. Elijah was empowered, so he ran before Ahab. Ahab was in a chariot. Elijah was on foot. Sometimes it seems like the enemy is powerful and moves fast, and we can never overtake them. Lord, I don't know if I'm ever going to get over this, this thing. Maybe it's an iniquity I inherited from mom and dad. Thanks, mom and dad, or grandma and grandpa. Now i got to deal with it. It's just so big. But when we get things in order and we're empowered by God, we can overtake them. Isn't that what the blessing of the Lord, the Lord said to Israel when they were standing on Mount Gerizim? That if you follow me, the blessing of the Lord will overtake you because of his power. You know, I was looking up the distance, looked on Google Maps and was looking up some things. And from Mount Carmel to Jezreel, the ancient city of Jezreel, it's about 20 miles. That's more than half a marathon. And you think, well, okay, that would be a distance, but how about half a marathon trying to outrun a chariot? It's naturally impossible. It's supernatural. But it's a message for us. God did not just have Elijah run so he could say to Ahab, ha, 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 I beat you. I'm faster than you. But to tell us, I can empower you. Well, God's speaking to us, not Ahab. I can empower you if you'll submit to my divine order in your life. You will be empowered as never before. And so as we think of this message that we can see through Ahab and the fire upon the altar and the wood that was set in order, let's come to God and say, Lord, would you show me your order? And if there's things that are not quite right, help me to follow you. And, you know, we've looked at that today. These can be very practical things. God can speak to us and we say, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to be used by you. And then he speaks about something so practical. Lord, what does that have to possibly do with following you? And God says, that's not for you to know, just to obey. I've had things like that in my life that I say, Lord, what in the world are you talking to me about this for? This practical thing that seems like there's nothing wrong with it and what in the world, Lord? Little did I know, but he's just trying to get me in order to submit and to follow him. But it's empowering. Be prepared for practical things that Lord deals with, but also be prepared to say, yes, Lord. You know, I was just thinking about Ezra. He was one who prepared his heart to seek the Lord. And when you prepare your heart, you, you're basically you're praying, preparing yourself for anything. Lord, you're, who knows what you're going to do, but I've got to prepare myself to, for one thing. Yes, Lord, I'll do it. Because it brings new life, new power, new strength to run our race. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your plan and your purpose and for your power, for your fire and rain that you want to bring upon us. But Lord, as we see in this message, Lord, that Lord, there's things in our life that have to be aligned to you, who is the cornerstone. And so, Lord, we 
cry out to you, Lord, we, we walk in the fear of the Lord, knowing that if we ask you to come and set things in order, Lord, you, you do that. And sometimes it's difficult and painful and scary, but Lord, we cry out to you that, Lord, you would come in a fresh way, in a new way, and that, Lord, you would work in our lives, Lord, and that you would divinely enable us to flow and to, with you and to say yes to you and no to our own will and to surrender to you. Lord, set our lives in order. Lord, help us to put our heart upon what you want us to do, Lord, and not ourselves. Oh, we just cry out for fresh grace that you would do this in our lives in a new and a fresh way, we ask. And we just thank you. Oh, strengthen your people today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you.